We know you're seeing all the Mother's Day gift guides everywhere. And while we usually do some Didn't I Just Feed You version, this year we have the one perfect Mother's Day gift that works for everyone, even our last minute shoppers, mylifeinabook.com. Mylifeinabook.com is a unique service that turns the life stories of people you love into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your gift recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions that they provide, or you can customize the questions the way that I did for my mom. Your recipient can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. Mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. I'm really excited to be creating a book with my own mom this year, and I can't wait to hear some of her childhood memories, what it was really like raising three kids as a single mother, and how she's enjoyed becoming a grandmother, too. And when the book is done, you'll have a beautiful keepsake for her and for you, too. You can even choose to have an audiobook created from the recordings. It's easy to sign up, and the process is automated, so you don't have to worry about missing a week. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code D-I-J-F-Y at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code D-I-J-F-Y for 10% off today. This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with Byheart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is Byheart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like an early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. Additional terms and conditions apply. Megan, a lot has changed since my boys started solids, but one thing hasn't. Parents are always looking for delicious options that deliver the most nutrition as affordably as possible. We all want what's best for our kids. Which is why we're so thrilled to share Amara Organic Foods. Their baby foods deliver all of the taste, textures, and nutrients of fresh purees with the convenience of an on-the-go powder. Yes, powder. Amara is a small company making big changes in the baby food space. When founder Jessica realized that by removing the water content from fresh foods, she could retain all of their nutrients and flavor without having to boil them to death, she partnered with an infant nutritionist to turn these super powders into a less processed, more affordable baby food option. You just add water, breast milk, or formula to your Amara baby food powder, mix, and serve. This allows you to customize the texture of your baby's meal, which is ready in seconds. All of this and Amara is 100% organic, non-GMO, and plant-based without any added preservatives or sugars. In fact, Amara has 50% less natural sugar than leading brands and still costs less than $2 a meal. It's no wonder that Amara was voted best baby food by the bump, good housekeeping, and what to expect. Learn more at amaraorganicfoods.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y and get 25% off their online shop using our exclusive code FEEDU25. That's FEEDU25 for 25% off any purchase at amaraorganicfoods.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. You're not failing if somebody who's not you is feeding your child in a different way. It's just part of getting the job done. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. It's been a while since we talked about feeding wee little ones, so we're thrilled to be going back to the basics with this week's guest, Casey of Mama Knows Nutrition. 
I'm so excited for this episode. Preparing for it made me feel all nostalgic and warm and fuzzy inside, which I hope gives parents who are in the thick of it with first-time eaters a little bit of hope and light at the end of the tunnel, (laughs) kind of. But first, I want to quickly remind everybody about our community. It's been growing a lot lately and getting super lively. So many tips, tricks, and recipe trades. It's definitely the most helpful and supportive place on the internet for family cooks. So be sure to join us. Remember that there's a free community board where everyone hangs. And then if you're able to contribute to Didn't I Just Feed You, you can join us as a supporting member, which get which comes with a ton of perks, including two bonus episodes every month. And you can find more about your options and how to join at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. And if you can't join our community or become a supporting member right now, that's okay. We still love you. Just keep listening and know that you can always support Didn't I Just Feed You by leaving a rating or a review as well. Or sharing an episode with one of your friends who might need it. Like maybe you know someone with a new baby. Stacey, you mentioned feeling nostalgic about baby food. Did you enjoy those first foods with your boys? I did. I mean, we talk about this a little bit with Casey. I share a little bit about my experience with Isaac. I was definitely more uptight. By the time Oliver came around, I was much more confident, more flexible. And I think I've told this story before, but I was doing a lot more work around like baby and toddler food. And I had the opportunity to interview, I don't know if he's still like a well-renowned expert, Dr. Alan Green. He was a big deal when my boys were little. He wrote a book called Feeding Baby Green. He was out of Stanford. He actually led the charge several years ago of kind of, I wouldn't say eliminating, but moving away from cereal and rice in particular as a first food. So he was, for the time, pretty progressive. And I did an interview with him and he mentioned offhandedly that tomatoes were one of the least shared foods for beginner eaters that people figured if they gave them like ketchup and tomato sauce, that that was good tomato exposure for little ones. And I remember being like, I'm going to, I'm going to turn Oliver into a tomato lover and like cutting up the cherry tomatoes. And I totally did. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's also probably just a coincidence that he likes tomatoes and that he was open to it. But I remember thinking, it's so interesting that in the United States, that there could be like these patterns to our feeding culture, right? That makes sense. Even though we don't share a single culture, there is this kind of overriding what we have available in our supermarkets and like the information that we're exposed to around feeding babies, that like a whole vegetable could be something that like we generally don't really give to our kids until they're older. And I thought, if I just, give it to him? Will he eat it? And he totally did. And to this day, tomatoes are one of his absolute favorite vegetables. And I think it's just because I partly at least just like gave it to him all the time. Yeah. I think the thing with tomatoes and we'll, we talk about this a little bit with Casey is like choking. I think people worry, especially like talking about cherry tomatoes or even heirloom tomatoes, like the, there's like the skin that can feel like a little bit tough. And then not to mention the mess of it. So like, I'm, I feel not surprised by that, but also I'm, yeah. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of you, Stacey. You're the tomato <laughs> lover. I, I made progress with the tomato, but I remember that being like a really fun and exciting experiment. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, that's really how I approached feeding, especially with Oliver, as just like a fun experiment, like cooking foods that worked for all of us and giving it to him and curries and herbs and spices. And I was just really kind of fascinated by all of that and kind of bucking the trend. With Isaac, I was too, but I was just much more of a nervous Nelly. Yeah, you were about it. I was a new parent. The choking felt scarier. The allergens felt scarier. You know, I just didn't want anything to happen to precious Isaac. Right? (laughs) Your first baby. And now he's basically a grown up who feeds himself as much junk food and fast food as he possibly can. There he goes. It reminds me forever of the meme. I think you, we, I think we shared it recently on Didn't I Just Feed You's Instagram where it's like, 
baby led weaning purees. Like yes. you all, it's like two slides and they all come together to the kids who like eat the Cheerios off of the floor of the car. Totally. Totally. And it is so, it's, it is so that way. Like it doesn't really matter. I was so excited to start solids. Well, more purees with Ella. Ella's 10. And I felt like that was sort of the trend then was like everyone was making their own purees. I was probably spending too much time on Pinterest, seeing all the like beautiful Uh rainbows of purees. And we are going to talk a little bit about breastfeeding and like bottle feeding later in the season. But I struggled so much with feeding Ella in her first six months with breastfeeding and then eventually moving to formula that when it was time to do solids, I was like all in. Yeah. I will make all of the purees. I will become obsessed with this thing. And I think some, in some ways that took a little bit of the joy out of like there, there was, it was hard to find joy in it. And then three years later when I had Emmett, like I had a toddler and Emmett was not interested in purees at all. So it was fun then to discover baby led weaning and to be able to give him things like avocado instead of cereal as his first food and watch him make a totally different mess than Ella was able to. Um, and then they still, they both would prefer to have chicken nuggets above all else Funny. <laughs> most nights or plain pasta. So it kind of, and, and we'll talk about this, like in the end, you just do your best and it all kind of doesn't matter as long as they're being fed. A hundred percent. And I hope that's what people take away, that there's some like a few like top line things that you can think about, some things to just be aware about, but for the most part, try to have fun with it and have an yes. adventure. I have a picture of baby Isaac eating avocado, his very first solid food. I gave him avocado for the first oh my time. God. We're going to share because I've got the scene. So like, cute. I don't remember Oliver's first meal. Yeah. Do you remember? Um, oh, you said Emmett was avocado. Emmett was definitely avocado. I mean, I think we had tried a couple, like maybe sweet potato puree and maybe like a, an applesauce puree. And he was like, absolutely not eating those so his first like real thing where he was like yes i am into this was avocado and with ella i definitely started with cereal like that was the recommendation i think it was oat cereal um, i didn't do cereal cereal. with either of my kids i never fed them cereal baby cereal at all that's awesome i mean i mean i don't i just wasn't i was too excited for food you yes. know what I mean? I yeah. wanted to get into See, the food. I wanted to do it right. And like at the time, right. Ella was, yeah. El, that was the recommendation, like rice cereal. And she'd struggled a little bit in her early months to like gain weight. So I had also this Same like pressure Isaac. from my pediatrician, the lactation consultant we were seeing from my mother-in-law, from my husband to like get that baby some cereal. <laughs> That's funny because we'll talk about these stories, but the same with Isaac, but Isaac, I had the pressure to fatten him up when he was still just three months. Yeah. And we'll talk about more why, because it was traumatic, but he wasn't eating solids yet. So by the time he ate solids, this kid ballooned like you would not believe because he'd probably been starving literally for the first three months of life. And as soon as he was offered formula, he was like, look, 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 look. And he fattened up so fast. We used to call him Isaac because he had <laughs> the biggest Wait, baby does legs. Know, does he know that? Yes, he totally okay. does. I mean, he okay. really was like the fattest. He was like, finally food. <laughs> My goodness. Oh. So by the time we got to solids, this kid was already like a hulking baby. Yeah. I just all of a sudden am nostalgic for chunky baby thighs. Oh my gosh, it is the cutest. It's pretty great. Oliver was always fat skinny. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he had rolls, but it wasn't the same sort of intensity. That's yeah. Ella. That was Ella. Like she had rolls, but it wasn't the same intensity. And Emmett was just a chunk. Yes. I love a good chunky baby. Okay. I feel like we're, we listen to us. We're like getting way too nostalgic and some of this we talk about with Casey so I think we should like get right into the basics with her because we know that like we do have parents who are listening who have new babies pandemic babies yay pandemic babies Casey Barnes is a registered dietitian nutritionist who helps family with young kids make healthy eating approachable and attainable 
Casey shares nutrition tips, hacks, and meal ideas on Instagram and her website, mamaknowsnutrition.com. She has a Master of Clinical Nutrition from UT Southwestern and earned her bachelor's degree at NYU. Casey currently lives in Dallas, Texas with her husband and two kids. Find her as at Mama Knows Nutrition on Instagram and right here on Didn't I Just Feed You. Casey, we are so excited to have you on Didn't I Just Feed You. We recently learned that we have a lot more moms of littles in our audience. And I can't believe that in three years, we really haven't talked about baby food. Stacey and I both have older kids, so we are a little bit out of the loop on what's like current recommendations for feeding babies. So let's start with like when to start. What are some of the key markers or behavioral things to knowing that your baby is ready to start solids? That's a great place to start. And thank y'all for having me. I'm so glad to be here. So the first thing is that a lot of times you'll hear from your pediatrician something that you hear different from your mom or your friends or whatever. But from a developmental perspective, what we're really looking for is a couple things from baby to show that they're ready. And this usually happens around six months. We recommend exclusively breastfeeding or formula feeding right up until about that six-month mark. But then you want to see that baby is able to sit up pretty much unassisted. We want to see that they're interested in food. So you might even find that they're like grabbing for your food when they see you eating. And that's a great sign that they're getting ready. And we want them to be able to bring foods or toys to their mouth at this point. Um, Sometimes you might hear that they need to lose the tongue thrust reflex, but it usually doesn't go away altogether. But if they're just shoving everything out of their mouth, they might not be quite ready, but usually that kind of lessens over time. Yes. It's so interesting. I had the experience of my daughter, who's 10 now, like when she was a baby, um, they, the recommendation was like to start with cereals around four months when there were sort of like the developmental signs. And of course, my dear mother-in-law, who I love very much, was like, oh, you can like go ahead and start right at four months, even if she's not ready. And even my son, who's three years younger, the recommendation changed. So what what's the recommendation now for foods to start? Yeah, it has changed so much. And even just my son is seven, and I know that it's changed so much since then. So now we really suggest starting in with a variety of foods, like right off the bat. So fruits, vegetables, meats, anything really, you don't have to start with just cereal. And in fact, we recommend that you don't start with just cereal because it's not the most nutritious option. And we're now seeing all these concerns about the heavy metals and the rice and all of that. And so there's really no reason. The the reason why they thought it was a good place to start is because rice is very hypoallergenic. And so that was a thought of like, okay, babies won't have a reaction to this. But now we know it's much better to introduce allergens early on. So it's kind of the exact opposite of what we used to think. Okay, so let's talk about that because allergens is still a huge fear among a lot of parents, very understandably. And especially as the kids get older, we all know this with school-aged kids, you do, (laughs) it's like you want to be expansive in the beginning and like be a little bit fearless around the allergen, allergen, high allergen foods. But then when they become school-aged kids again, we have to be mindful of the entire community and there might be kids with food allergies. So, you know, it's like no peanut butter, no sesame even in our school. But when they're babies and you're just starting solids, eggs, peanut butter, sesame, coconut, like really all of it, like we're just going for it, right? We're just going for it. I mean, you obviously want to serve it in a way that is developmentally appropriate for babies. So we're not going to give them like whole nuts, but I don't think anybody's thinking that that's a possibility. So mixing in like peanut butter into oatmeal or puree, something like that. But especially with peanuts, we do have good research that shows that early and frequent introduction is what helps prevent the allergy. And I know that it's so scary. I think that we hear these stories about Mm -hmm. like the one kid who had that severe reaction and went into anaphylactic shock. And oh my gosh, how terrifying is that? But the reality is it's maybe about 7% of kids that develop a food allergy. So it's really pretty uncommon. 
But is there a way that you should introduce it? Like, should you be more vigilant? Should you isolate high allergen foods as opposed to like, if you're going to serve like squash and apple and fennel all at once, go for it. But if you're going to introduce peanut butter, maybe just pair it with oatmeal or something simple that you know your kid already tolerates or is even that outdated? No, I think you can do that. I mean, the current recommendations say that you can introduce pretty much whatever, but I think for parents' peace of mind and just for ease of like identifying if there is something, you can more easily identify what the problem is if you know, okay, I only introduced peanut butter on this day. I didn't also introduce egg and dairy all at once. Right. I have this memory so clear. My older one is 15 years old. And so it's pretty amazing that I still remember this so vividly. I was at a picnic in Central Park with a bunch of co-workers and I was holding Isaac and I was eating stuff. Like people were handing me food because I only had one hand free. And every time I put something to my mouth, he was like lunging for it. <laughs> like he was like <laughs> leaning forward. He must've been like four and a half or five months. And everybody was like, are you feeding this kid? This kid obviously wants food. He's ready. And I was like, he's not ready yet. He's not six months. <laughs> but and like, it was like all the food seemed so advanced to me, but I feel like it'd be such an exciting time. I'm one of those weird people who really enjoyed starting solids. I thought it was really fun and exciting. And now I wish that I had a kid where I could be like, yeah, you want to nibble on this? Like, let's go. I was just such a like nervous Nelly back then. <laughs> yes. Well, I even with my first, I was so nervous too. I had a ch- a chart on my <laughs> fridge, yes. every single food listed out. And I'm like, this day we introduced yes, green beans. Totally. <laughs> okay. So speaking of that, you know, we started slowly, we isolated foods and we pureed everything at first. But I know that baby led weaning It's not a new idea. It was even around way back 15 years ago when Isaac was a baby, but it does seem to be more popular now. And there seems to be some nuance where it isn't just like you have to choose between purees or handing over big chunks of food. Like there's lots of in between, but can you talk to us a little bit about baby led weaning? I know people are curious about it. Yeah, absolutely. So baby led weaning is basically You don't have to necessarily skip purees, but baby led weaning is going right to those finger foods right away and usually in bigger pieces. So they may be like the size of two of your adult fingers, um, those big strips that baby can actually like kind of rake up and bring to their Mm -hmm. mouth. Everything should be soft and something that you could squish between your fingers or like the tongue, your tongue in the roof of your mouth. So we still want it to be really nice and soft for baby. But the idea is that they're getting to start from the beginning by feeding themselves, having more control over that process, learn kind of where things go in their mouth. Because when we start with just purees, it's kind of like they're just swallowing, right? But when we start with these pieces of food, they're actually having to figure out how to chew it and move it to the back of their mouth and then swallow it. So there's really a lot of learning that goes on. And just from a texture perspective and exposure, like I love the idea of babies getting messy, like mm-hmm. getting it all in their hands, getting it all over their face. Like as a parent, I don't love that part. <laughs> but as a professional, like that texture experience, like we see so many picky kids now. And a lot of them were just fed with a spoon because this is what we are taught. They're fed with a spoon and then they're wiped right away and they don't touch the food. They don't experience it. And so it's a, a very big change from the way that most of us were raised and learned to feed our kids. And it's it's this, like you said, it's not a new idea, but it's definitely a lot more popular now. And I think the benefits are more understood and celebrated now. I never even thought about that whole like wiping between each bite, which I'm so guilty of because I <laughs> we did a, an episode recently on cleaning and I admitted that I'm a little bit of a like meat free. And, and I also, we did something, we did an episode for our supporting membership about cooking with kids. And I mentioned how Isaac, did have like he felt weird about getting like batter on his hand or like too much squishiness or like never mind something like making a meatloaf or meatballs like that would just mm-hmm. gross him out but it is true not that i'm trying to draw a direct line that i was always like 
wiping him up and keeping the area clean. And like, you know, he never really had an opportunity to like feel that food on his hands. Yeah, it's so common. And even just the whole sensory play, yeah. you know, you see all these ideas all over the internet now. Yes. Even seven years ago, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, that's yes. so interesting how those like how all these ideas link up. Mm-hmm. When you start to think about feeding as a set of skills, physical skills, and not just about the food, but that there's like kids have to learn. They have to learn, you know, how to pick things up with their fingers. They have to learn how to like move food in the back of their mouth with their tongue. That giving them a wide range of experience also gives them a lot of opportunity to learn a whole bunch of skills that add up to what we think of as just being automatic. Absolutely. And it definitely doesn't have to be one or the other. You don't have to say, I'm a baby led weaning parent or I'm not, especially for busy moms or busy dads who are like, okay, well, sometimes they're fed at daycare. I have no control over that. Or sometimes we really just have to do this and get out the door. And that's okay. You can totally pick pieces of it to do sometimes and not the other. Like maybe dinner is the one messy meal of the day and the others aren't. And that's okay. I'm so curious, and this is maybe me asking you to therapize me a little bit, but if there, cause like I have a 10 year old and a seven year old and in between like my 10 year old being born, who she exclusively started with cereal and, and purees. And then my son had zero, who's seven, had zero interest in purees. And so we did more baby led weaning style feeding with him. And he's now a much more adventurous eater than my 10 year old. Is there any research that connects baby led weaning with selective eating in older kids? Is that is how we choose to feed our babies impactful to how they eat later on in life? It definitely can be. And I think it it helps. There, There's so much that says that a lot of picky eating is genetic, right? So we already know that that portion is there. But we do know that these experiences, especially getting all of this sensory input and having those different texture experiences, that does help. Um, and even just introducing them to a wide variety of flavors can help expand their palate too. Some research I've seen, um, I wish I could remember like the study, but I remember reading recently that even kids who are exposed to a lot early on, that it's still possible that they kind of lose it in those toddler years. So it's, it's not a guarantee. I really want to just pause on this for a moment because I think that there's always this fine line between all of us in our various ways, bringing expertise to parents and wanting to share what we know, but then also being honest about what really makes a difference and how like it is okay. And it does all work out. And like, <laughs> like Isaac is fine and Ella and Emmett are fine and they all like eat what they eat. And, you know, there's so many opportunities and through the different stages and seasons of life to help them find food joy and to give them opportunities to develop a healthy relationship with food. Because I just remember in those phases and maybe because I have a tendency towards perfectionism, being really hard on myself, like, if I had only done this, or, you know, if I just do this correctly, I'm gonna like set him up to be like, great, I have two boys. So I always use he, I have two boys who identify as he. So, you know, it's, I really appreciate what you're saying. And I am so glad that there's research now that actually says that picky eating is something that you know, is just there and it's in the genes and like not to stress too hard about it. So you're therapizing me, helping me oh, get I, through my... I'm like, I, actually just, <laughs> I just actually wanted to pause on that because I know a lot of parents, yeah. I know if I had babies and I was listening to this, it's like, oh, okay. Like there is a connection between, you know, exposure to foods and making sure that your kid isn't a selective eater down the line. I'm going to expose my kid to lots of foods. And then I'd feel really... Like a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yes. And sad if it didn't work out. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to explore the root cause of everything. Like we talked uh, with a foster mom recently, we talked about how like um, not having access to food sometimes can impact our later relationship with food. And so it's very interesting as we, as I look back on parenting babies and seeing how they develop and also my own experience with food and growing up. But uh, Stacy's point also leads me to want to get like very brass tacks and ask, so from six months to a year, what are the big nutrition concerns, no matter what style of feeding you choose for your family? Yeah, that's a good question. And for babies who are around six months and up, what I would say is that we want to make sure that we're getting them an iron source, especially breastfed babies, because they're not getting that in the breast milk, the way that formula is fortified with iron. So that could look like meat, but it doesn't have to. It could mean beans, lentils, that kind of thing. And I find beans and lentils are really great food for babies because it's already so soft and ready for them. Um, the iron source and then fat. We now know, you know, fat used to be bad and now everybody is like on the keto diet, which I don't recommend for kids. But <laughs> That is awesome for babies. It's going to help their brain and central nervous system development. So you don't have to be afraid of fat like avocados, egg yolks, olive oil, all those kinds of things. Butter is fine. Like whole milk yogurt. Fat is really great. So there's this study that um, was actually about baby led weaning, but they kind of put together this formula of how you can eat or feed your baby, what to think about in their meals. And it's like, include the high iron food, include um, a high calorie source. And usually that can be like a fat, include a fruit or a vegetable. And so if you can think about those three things, you're great. I mean, those are kind of awesome for grownups too. And I like that it's like just three things to think about. Yes, because you're obviously going to give them a variety of things anyway, but making sure that you include those, then you know you can hit those nutritional bases. Before we hear more from Casey, let's take a quick break to hear from one of this week's sponsors. Last year, both Stacey and I discovered Nutrafol, a supplement that supports healthy hair growth by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. We've been so thrilled with the results that in 2022, we want to make sure every woman knows about Nutrafol, because as it turns out, 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through seasons when hair loss and thinning are normal, like postpartum and premenopausal, and all the times in between. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months, and more than 1,500 doctors recommended Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. Most importantly, Nutrafol is 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective dosages, so you get the most reliable results. And major bonus, you may also notice improvements to your overall well-being, including more restful sleep, less stress, and my favorite, better skin and nails. No matter your stage in life or whether you're experiencing thinning hair caused by stress, hormonal changes, overstyling, or some other reason, there's a Nutrafol product for you. Take their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for personalized product recommendations. Grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code D-I-J-F-Y to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer ever anywhere and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus get free shipping on every order. That's $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code D-I-J-F-Y. Okay, so you hit the nutritional bases and how more brass tacks like scheduling because I remember that was like another thing that was very like stressful to me like wait how many bottles or feeds how many meals and it, then it felt like it was changing every few weeks yes is our feeding schedules important and if they are like what are the like big like the same way you just shared like three things to think about like what are the like top line takeaways around scheduling 
you want to think about three to four hours max between feedings. So whatever that looks like, that's kind of the max that we want them to go without eating, whether that's a bottle or nursing or a solid meal. When they're first starting out, you really only need to feed them solids once a day. And that could be any time of the day that works best for you. It doesn't have to be dinner. It doesn't even have to be like at your meal time. It's just what works for you. By the time they're nine months, we want to see two meals. And then once we get to really 10, 11 months, I want to see three meals. But again, there's wiggle room there. And it's going to vary. Like some moms are breastfeeding on demand. Some are sticking to really strict bottle feeding schedule. There's no one right way here beyond making sure that it's not so frequent. Like I don't want baby eating every single hour. That's not the best for their digestion and their overall schedule and no more than three to four hours. So if we can find somewhere in between there, I wouldn't stress about the exact details. And is that because the nutrition of the meal isn't really what matters in those very early months of starting solids? Is it more of a like mechanics thing? (laughs) Like get used to this. Here's a texture. Like here's something new you're going to be doing with your mouth and your tongue. Yeah. They don't get that much actual food when they're first Mm -hmm. starting out and that's okay. (laughs) Like we don't need to be counting up like, ah, I think they got maybe three teaspoons. It's, it's okay. Like you want to follow their cues and they're going to show you if they're still hungry, they're going to be opening their mouth, like reaching for the food, doing those kinds of signs. And when they're done, they're like batting you away. They're turning their head. They're shoving the food off the tray. So the amount they're going to, they're going to give you that information, which is great. Okay. But what would, what happens when they give you that information just because of a preference? Is the baby going to push away something that they don't like the taste of right away? Should you interpret it that way? I feel like a lot of times people are like, oh, my baby doesn't like that. And I'm like, how do we know that your baby doesn't like that? Yeah. So it's so confusing because they'll make these faces, they'll spit out the food and you're like, oh, they definitely don't like asparagus. And maybe they don't, but they also don't really know. And just them making a face or like spitting it out doesn't mean that they don't like it. So you could try a different food. Like if you're seeing they don't want this, okay, let me see what else I'm serving. Try that. They still don't want that. Okay, then they're done. But yeah, to your point, just them like spitting it out or making a face doesn't mean we give up on that food at all. Like you've got to keep trying and introducing. In that vein, and you mentioned this earlier about like you don't know what necessarily what's happening at daycare or with a nanny or other caregiver what are some great ways to like create that communication for those busy parents whose kids are with other caregivers during the day and they're trying to like you know just keep track of what their baby's trying what's worked what's not worked what kind of nutrition they're being exposed to is there a great system i think it'll depend for each family because i know some daycares will detail out like to the t everything that they ate some won't so i think it just depends i do think that making sure that if you're in charge of the food for them like making it easy for the caregiver is great because they're not always going to be comfortable. Like you might want your mother-in-law to do baby led weaning with your baby and they are like not at all comfortable with that. And that's totally okay. Give her the pouch. That's totally fine for that meal. Like you're not failing if somebody who's not you is feeding your child in a different way. It's just part of getting the job done. I love that. (laughs) I want that soundbite forever and ever. (laughs) Because it's about everything. It's so like, that's such an important point, way beyond the starting solid stage, you know, and you're not failing. I mean, even all the way to teen years, you're not failing when your child starts to feed himself. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And makes decisions that you wouldn't make if you were still in charge of their food. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So like, if you can take that and bottle it up and like come from that place, I hope that it's as freeing as it sounds like it would have been to me all those years ago when I was doing feeding solids. 
Yeah, I think we're so hard on ourselves. And in some ways, it's a blessing to have all this information on the internet, on social media. But in other ways, I think it's a curse because then we're holding ourselves to these standards that we think is the right way or somebody else is doing it this way. If they can do it, why can't I? And the reality is, you know, you have that perspective of saying, I have older kids. And it it doesn't matter. It felt so important at the time. And I really wanted to do the right thing and do a good job. But like you loving your baby, caring for them, feeding them, like you are doing such a good job. And this these little things aren't going to matter in the long run. It's so funny because I expected this interview to be like really long and detailed and be taking notes. And this would be a really like good one for our listeners to make sure they take notes. And actually. It's so much more relaxed than I expected. You know, there are just some like broad strokes, like basically what works for you, a variety of foods, you know, think about a little bit of iron, a little bit of vegetables, a little bit of fruits, and like, you're okay. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong and I'm missing something that you think is an important takeaway, but otherwise, what else do you really want parents to know? Like, is there anything we haven't covered that you think is really important as you embark on a food adventure with your little one? I think where a lot of people get held up is just the safety piece of it and being worried about, am I serving this in a way that's safe for my baby? And I totally understand why they would feel that way. One of the biggest misconceptions is that they need teeth to be able to chew anything that's not a puree. And that's so not true. I mean, you even think about just you put your finger between their gums like they can give a lot of pressure there. Yeah, they can. (laughs) (laughs) Gums can do the trick. So they can't like tear off a piece of steak. So we're not going to, you know, expect them to be able to do something like that but they can mash really well. And so that's why I talk about like being able to smush something between your fingers or being able to smush it with your tongue to the roof of your mouth. Like that's generally what they're able to do. There's one resource that I love and most of it is free. Solidstarts.com has this whole library of food introduction. So any food that you think, I don't know how to safely feed this to my baby they have the answer and it's truly a wonderful resource. Do you think that like an infant first aid class is something that anxious parents who are like nervous about their babies choking as they start solids is something that's like necessary, helpful, required? Absolutely. 100%. I think all parents should do it because just having that knowledge is definitely going to make you feel more confident of, okay, if something were to happen, I know what to do. And so I think that gives you more of that encouragement of like, okay, I can do this. Worst case scenario, I know what to do. And there's this huge difference between gagging and choking. Mm. And most people think that gagging is choking when it's actually completely opposite. Like gagging is this protective mechanism that happens in the mouth. Their food is still in the mouth, whereas choking is blocking their airway. So when you see them like making the faces and um, they might be like coughing or it, you're like, ah, are they okay? And that's them gagging. And that's great. Like that's them just, they might've lost track of the food in their mouth and they're just kind of trying to get it to the right place. So gagging is a good thing. Whereas I think we are conditioned to think like something's wrong. This is bad. They're not ready for this food. And it's really just them part of, it's part of their learning process and it's okay, but it still can be hard to watch. Yes. I'm thinking about my, even my own husband and my mother-in-law who are very like choking concerned. I don't even know if that's a term, (laughs) but it's like their number one concern. And so that was always like a challenge in doing solids with our kids was that they, every, any kind of choking, any sort of awkwardness in feeding, both of them were like, this is the end crisis. (laughs) (laughs) It's scary. Babies are very dramatic. (laughs) Yes. Well, they Um, can't talk to you. You don't know. But choking is silent. And so that's why Mm -hmm. I say the number one thing is to make sure that you are with your baby when they're eating. Um, That way you can be uh, looking for any signs of that. If they're silent, their face is, if their skin is lighter tone and you see blue or anything like that, or they have like a panicked look in their eyes, 
that's when we need to step in. But if you hear sounds, they're crying, they're coughing, like we're in a good spot. Not to make light of choking, but it's funny that silence from babies, toddlers, little kids, it's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> something terrible is going on something, when they're quiet. Is, something is afoot. Oliver used to make <laughs> this like deep man cough from when he was tiny, tiny, tiny. And it wasn't just when he ate, although sometimes when he ate too, but it was like, I want to recreate it, but I don't want to hurt our listeners' ears. But it was like, <laughs> <laughs> like it came from like his chest. And like when he would eat, it would really startle my mom, who was also a little bit nervous about it. By the time Oliver came around, I wasn't so nervous. But I also remember him being like so little that he was still in a like baby carrier, like either a sling or a baby Bjorn is what we carried back then so many years ago. And he would be like, <laughs> people would be like, oh my God, what is on that woman's chest? <laughs> What kind of creature is that? And then on top of it, yes, he had, he got his teeth really early too. So then they'd like look at him and he'd smile. And it was this tiny baby with this man cough and then these teeth. And it was like freaky. We were like, what is that baby? What is up with that baby? Anyway, he grew up and he's very handsome. I'll have you know. (laughs) Have you seen that film? On like Instagram, people will Photoshop like a full set of teeth onto their yeah. baby. <laughs> They're like, that's what it was. It seriously looked like that. It was really, really weird looking for a while. I'm I'm gonna try to dig up a photo to share on our Instagram because it was really funny. People really used to comment all the time. Anyway, sweet Oliver. I do have one more question because we've talked about baby led weaning in terms of like ingredients and softness and cutting things up. But what about if you just want to cook food for yourself and feed it to your baby too, there's going to be more spice, more flavor, but also maybe more salt, maybe more sugar are those things you have to worry about. And then can you just like take what you're making and kind of like pulse it up to the right texture and hand it over? Yes, that's honestly the easiest thing. Mm -hmm. Although I say that's easy, but I remember being in the stage of feeding myself, my husband, my toddler, and my baby and being like, what am I going to make that actually works for everybody? Yeah. But if you can think about meats that are softer, so anything stewed or ground meats, they're that soft texture you can do for baby. So I would take out baby's portion before you salt it because we do want to keep the salt on the lower side. That's like a whole topic in and of itself because there's more research that says that maybe sodium is not as dangerous for them as we have thought it is, but it's still safer to take that out. So salt your portion after you take out babies. Um, sugar is a no-no for our babies, so we want to avoid it. If you're using a sauce that has two grams of sugar in it, I would not worry about that. Like, If they're getting a tiny bit of that sauce or you wipe it off of their portion, you do not have to panic. I think one of the biggest things to know is like your baby will not be harmed by small amounts of these things. The main thing you have to avoid completely is honey because there is a risk of botulism. But other than that, like tiny amounts, I think there's this there's definitely a lot of people on the internet will make you think that your baby is doomed if they have the tiniest amount of sugar. And that's not true. So we can, <laughs> we can calm down about that. We can calm down about that. Um, but yeah, so I have this free guide on my website. If anyone wants to download it, it's called um, Simply Solids. And I have a lot of pictures in there of meals that I made that also work for baby. You can totally puree it up if you want to or serve it baby led weaning style. But things like flaky fish are a really good one. Peppers that you cook till they're really soft into strips. Um, You can do rice with a little bit of cheese or avocado to kind of smush it together so that they can eat it that way beans that have been cooked soft and you smash them up. So there's a lot of things that you can do so that you don't have to make your meal, then make the baby's meal, then do all the things. You already are doing so much. 
We will Amen. link to that resource in show notes because I know so many people are going to want to be able to find it and find your site, which I know offers a ton more resources as well. Um, Casey, thanks for letting us like reminisce about feeding our babies and help um, our listeners as they start feeding their babies. We loved having you today. Thank you. This is fun. Megan, I already said this with Casey, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but I really do think it's so important that listeners walk away feeling like they're doing a good job and that this isn't rocket science, <laughs> that there's lots of different ways to do it. There's lots of recommendations. The recommendations that I was given 15 years ago are different than what you were given 10 years ago are different than what Casey's giving now, but all of us come out fine in the end, <laughs> right? right? So I just, I'm so glad because I feel like an expert that I would have interviewed 15 years ago would have brought their expertise, but without also that as part of the conversation and why we love Casey so much is because she wanted to highlight that as well. Yes. Also, I'm so glad that she mentioned like there's so much more information that's available to everyone and like you don't have to listen to all of it. Just because someone's on the in internet is doing it one way doesn't mean that you have to do it that way either. That's exactly what I was going to say. The same thing. I think a really big tip is to find one person or expert whose approach resonates with you, who you feel like you trust after reading some of their material or watching some of their videos, whatever it is, and then kind of just stick with it. And then talk to your friends. I mean, really, like when I've had moments around the way my kids eat, talking to you is always the thing that makes me feel most grounded and best. You know what I mean? Because I trust you. You get it. You're also like my friend and you're going to be able to say, you're doing fine, Phyllis. You just need to relax. You know, when you get stuck down a like hole of like expertise and some people are saying, do it this way. And some people are saying, do it that way. You can really drive yourself mad. You can. And I also will say, mostly for my own benefit, that if you did it a different way when the recommendations were different, that that's also okay. Like not just right. that you are doing okay, but you did okay. You did the best oh, you knew. Even in the, the past. <laughs> yes, with the information that you had. You're, you're, you're parenting yourself right now. I love that. I'm trying something. <laughs> yes, I love something. that. It's true. I'm going to have this, believe me, we have a, is it next week coming up? We have a breastfeeding It's like in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. Because believe me, it's going to be my turn to do some therapy. I still carry guilt. So much. I can look at photos of Isaac from the first three months and actually start crying if I'm in a certain mood because I get so emotional about it. It's very intense. Yes. We're right there right together. there. So we and also get it. If you're hard on yourself, that's okay to just look at your kid and know that they're fine. <laughs> like it's going to be okay. Um, but I don't have that with solids. I feel like, okay, solids. Yeah, I did. Uh, we did. All right. In fact, part of my whole thing with Isaac now is I'm like, I did a damn good job with you in solids. Like, why are you eating this and that now? <laughs> like, why are you eating vegetables? I did my job. Now it's your turn to uphold, which oh, again man. is proof that even if you think you've done it right, you have no control. They are their own beings. And ultimately you lay some groundwork, you model some things and they have to go off and be their own people. And some of what they're going to do and some of the choices they're going to make are going to reflect, you know, what you put forth and what you had hoped for them. And a whole lot isn't. And like, we just got to get over it. We did our best and like, they're their own people. Yes. So I wonder though, do you have anything that like you hold on to any tips that helped you when you were, besides the tip of like talking to your friends when you're in the thick of it, like, do you have advice? No, just keep it easy. I remember when I first started One Hungry Mama and I put age recommendations Everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's so helpful. And I remember feeling like a fraud and saying, I wonder when someone's going to notice that nearly every single recipe is six <laughs> months plus, six months plus, six months plus. It seems like I'm putting them into categories, but I'm basically saying this is for everybody from the beginning. Of course, there were if a recipe had honey in it or if it was higher in sugar or salt. So I was 
paying attention to those things. But for me, that was really about ease. That wasn't just about like shaping a perfect palette in my baby. It was, I felt like when I cooked meals, knowing that I was going to share them with the boys, I would watch the sugar and the salt and like think about things that I might not think about if I was just cooking for me and Mike. And it kind of like made everything a little bit, well, now I don't think of it the same way now that everybody's older and I've done some more work on my self and I don't know, all the things like all the like fear around food and fat phobia and all of that stuff. But back then I did feel like this makes everything a little bit healthier for everybody and it's one meal and everybody can eat it. And that is what made my life easier So however you think about it, it doesn't have to be the same way. If I had a baby now, it wouldn't be the same thinking that I had back then. Whatever makes it easy. I thought it was very interesting that Casey said that making one meal for all four of them actually wasn't easier for her. Yeah. Because then she couldn't figure out what to make. Yeah, I had that experience as well. And part of that, of course, is like our schedule, we weren't, we did not have two parents who were like Monday through Friday. I couldn't always count on Brian to be home in time for dinner. Or sometimes I was getting home late and having to like feed us all on the fly. And so in some ways during the season of having like a toddler and a baby doing a little bit of meal prep or cooking a big batch of something for the kids one night and like just freezing half of it for a future night were the things that saved me and and to like not stress if you're in if in the beginning everyone's not all eating the same meal at the same time like their seasons that season does not last very long and eventually you all will be at the table in some capacity eating the same things as well totally i do remember being thankful that i had that my kids got used to some high nutritional density convenience foods. So chickpeas, tinned fish, like canned tuna, for example, that was low mercury or wild caught, if that's a concern for you. Uh, Avocados, because that always made it so that if I didn't want to share what I was making for me and Mike, or if I was going on the fly or, you know, we were visiting grandparents or traveling, that I could always grab a pouch or a can of chickpeas or a pouch of tuna and they oh, had a God meal. an avocado because it's packaged. Yes. And go with totally. you and sit perfectly in a cup holder on the way yeah. wherever you're going. Yeah. So thinking about some convenience foods that are nutrient dense that and getting your kid to like them. <laughs> like those tomatoes, right? Just keep serving right? it until they like it. Do, 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 do. You'll like this one day. (laughs) That also makes me think of our sponsor, Amara, because like when we had babies, having like a powder that you could just rehydrate was not something that you could like basically leave in a diaper bag for an extended period of time was not something that was available. And like, I'm a little bit jealous. A (laughs) hundred percent. And actually that it is, it retains its nutrition because of the way that it's processed, that you don't have to cook it or heat treat it. I mean, I know we're repeating what's in the ad and actually you guys, this is it's not, not part sponsored. Of it, but, this is yeah. not what part of what we promised them, but we really were intrigued. In fact, when Amara came to us, they wanted to advertise another one of their products at first. And we a little bit became obsessed with this baby <laughs> product because we, yeah. like, we wish we had that. Yes. Yeah, totally. But having a couple of convenience options, whether they're like a store-bought food or like a can of tuna, like I was saying is really a lifesaver because for a really long time, they don't need like meals. Flavor is good to prime their palate. But like, if you just get some chickpeas in them or black beans, like you did your job. Yes. Right. All of this, every episode could almost end with like, you're doing better than you think you're doing. True. (laughs) It is true. But here's what I want to know from our community. Uh, as we've learned that we have like a little, we, ha- we have more parents of babies in our audience. How can we serve you? Like, what are the resources that you need? We've covered the basics of nutrition and development and staging and allergens. So like, where are you at in the thick of it that you need help? 
with feeding your family and feeding your babies. Um, so we hope that you will join our listeners community. There's a free area where you can ask questions at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. Or if you want some bonus episodes and other goodies, join our supporting community. And you can also find us and keep in touch with us on Instagram where we're at didn't I just feed you. You can also sign up for our newsletter. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcast. Or if you're already a subscriber, we love a rating or a review. They don't only just bring us joy. They're also a way to help other busy home cooks find us. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.